You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky Films and Why We Frickin' Love Them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. This week we're looking at Shock Corridor uh, from 1963, written, produced and directed by Sam Fuller. It stars Peter Breck as John Barrett, Constance Towers as Kathy, James Best as Stuart, Jean Evans as Bowden, and in an immensely wonderful uh, performance, Harry Rhodes as Trent. Gary, what's it all about? So, Johnny Barrett is a very ambitious journalist who is fixated on winning a Pulitzer Prize. And he decides the best way to do this is uh, to un- to solve an unsolved murder, uh, which occurred in a mental hospital. Um, it is a murder of a man called Sloan, which the police have not been able to, to solve. He uh, decides the best way to do this is to get into the hospital undercover. And uh, after, um, and uh, quite extraordinary, decides the best way to uh, be certified, essentially, is to convince his girlfriend, Kathy, who also happens to be an exotic dancer, uh, to uh, convince the authorities she's his sister and that he made a sexual pass at her. This apparently it was in the 19, early 1960s in America, enough to get you committed. Um, his performance during the investigation uh, convinces the authorities to incarcerate him in the institution where the murder took place. Um, but of course, um, uh, Kathy is very, very uh, concerned about this and quite rightly because the behaviour of his fellow patients um, is very, very disturbing indeed uh, and includes um, a black man who is, believes he is a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, a doctor who is so freaked out by the, uh, sorry, a, a, an atomic scientist who's so freaked out by um, what he has helped invent uh, that he has regressed to a six-year-old child, uh, a man who believes he's a Civil War general, um, and um, a group of women who we only get to know as the Nymphos. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, Johnny learns the murder had three witnesses. Uh, each driven insane by the stresses of war, bigotry, fear of nuclear annihilation. Um, and um, the second witness to um, this murder is Trent. Um, and he was um, a, one, of the, one of the first black students to be integrated in a segregated Southern University and was so traumatised uh, by the uh, abuse he suffered there that he now, in, in fact, has taken on that abuse into himself. Um, Lindsay. Yeah. What's wrong with this picture? I think it's right on the line between art and exploitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah, it's a well really put. interesting mix of the two. And maybe we can call it artsploitation. Shall we invent <laughs> a, new, a new genre? Yeah, artsploitation. I like it. <laughs> and I think, if anything, Sam Fuller, the director, is is the king of artsploitation. He was known, we'll hear more about him later on, but he was known for his kind of low-budget films, uh, sometimes they had stars in them like Richard Ridmark. Often they did not. Yep. So he was making genre films, but with all of his films, there's something just slightly kind of odd about it. And 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 this film, I think, is is key to that as well. I, I'm I'm calling it art art exploitation because it's in some ways it's got a torrid and tawdry plot. It's kind of got an unbelievable narrative. And yet it's beautifully filmed and it's yeah, beautifully absolutely. acted. Some very committed performances. In some in some ways you might say the performances go slightly too far, but actually for most of them they are beautifully modulated. They they they, they give a madness, but um aside actually from Peter Breck himself, who does mm. go full on mad. <laughs> and when he goes mad, he really goes mad, things get thrown, people get thrown, he gets thrown. I mean it's it's big. He goes yeah, big. Yeah. Um, but the other people who play the patients in the mental hospital actually offer very poignant um, uh, performances. Mm. I think another way it's it's weird is if this was a film in the 50s or if this was a film made by somebody else, his girlfriend Kathy is not a stripper, she's a school teacher. 
Why is she a stripper? It can only be exploitative. Um, and her her stripping performance, I think, feeds into that because it's also a mix of art and exploitation. She's singing this kind of longing love song. Um, and the, the the harmonies, presumably imaginary harmonies, are singing Johnny, Johnny, which is the name of her boyfriend. But she's stripping to this love song. I mean, gets down to, I guess, a, a kind of shiny, sparkly bikini. So it's like 1963. She's not going to be topless. She's not going to be nude. But you get the feeling that had that been the fashion of the day, she would have been topless. She would have been nude had Sam Fuller been able to get away with it. So it's 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 constantly on the, the line of this kind of some of the script is poetry, some of it is balls. Mm. Uh, it, it, it's filmed beautifully and yet the narrative is out there. It's just constantly kind of um, got a foot in both camps. Absolutely, yeah, no, spot on. And I think the relationship between Johnny and Kathy is very key to the weirdness. Yeah, okay, of course, you know, part of this is it, there's an insane asylum. This gives an awful lot of, act, well, a, a bunch of actors a chance to be insane. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it's shot in one corridor, hence shot corridor, or much of the film is. And basically it's one of those amazing films where, you know, a director has no money. Um, he, he is, you know, Sam Fuller was cast, had gone through his magical phase where he was funded by David Selznick and is now, you know, having to cast around for the money to film. So the reason why this amazing black and white kind of really rock hard, neo-realist kind of, yeah, lighting and shadow uh, is because he couldn't afford anything else. The reason yeah. it's all in one set is because he couldn't afford yeah. anything else. The reason there's no stars in it is because he couldn't afford yeah. them. But all of these are made into advantages. And um, and he just gets to play imaginative, brilliant games with this whole idea that a journalist who wants to win the Pulitzer Prize is going out with a stripper. Yeah. And this stripper, you know, in the, it, 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 she's almost like, um, I don't know, she, she's, she's a complete fantasy figure in the sense of in the very first scene where she's basically trying to talk him out of doing yeah, this yeah. insane thing, she could be a school teacher, like yeah. the way she looks. Then suddenly we're seeing her as a stripper and we go back to that dance. That is the most uncomfortable looking strip dance yeah. ever. Yeah, and not 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 in and I don't mean that in the sense of, oh, she's a bad actress and she doesn't know how to dance. I think it's totally men it she'll do these slight of arty graceful moves and suddenly she's just kind of thrusting at the camera like <laughs> yeah. no not even in time and it's just like what uh, what uh. um really really strange and did you notice at the start so her her face is covered in a feather boa yeah she's not got a feather boa around her neck her whole head is covered in she looks like big bird yeah and she's just yeah. singing and these feathers you can hear her voice the feathers are kind of rippling with her breath but you don't see her face. It's, it's kind of like absolutely. What is I am, this? I'm so delighted you said Big Bird because I wrote I wrote down you know the, the, the stripper Muppet. That's yeah. that's what I put on my <laughs> on my notes. It's just like insane. And it's a harsh edit from something else, which has nothing to do with it, isn't it? it is it even the scene in the... They've just had a row, that's yeah, it. Yeah, They've literally just had a row and she's stormed out of this psychiatrist's office, yeah. you know, because this psychiatrist is coaching him how to be mad, basically. And, um, and you know, and uh, this argument is completely unresolved and whatever, bang. And then Sam Fuller's king of the, the hard edit. Yeah. He, 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 no screwing about, no transition from one yeah, thing yeah. he wants to say to the next. It's like, bang, out of there, bang, stripper. And... And like you say, the first shot is is a singing fur boa, yeah. feather boa, and it's with legs. Yeah, it's just it's very odd. And <laughs> at one point later on, um, so her 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 role as a stripper kind of it, it, this is how he pictures her later on in the hospital. So he's lying in the hospital thinking about her, and she is superimposed as a tiny little person, like yeah. on his body. Yeah. As a stripper, and yeah. they're having this this kind of conversation in his head about that. But anyway, one of those one of those conversations is she says that when the drama critic on his newspaper came to review her show, and it's like drama critics review strippers. <laughs> okay, what kind of what kind of cockamamie newspaper is he working for? Is this even do, do we even get a town at any point? 
a city? Is it Chicago? No. Is it New York? Is it where, where yeah, is it? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's ever. Yeah, that's but ever apparently this amazing big city newspaper he works for, uh, they're happy with him going out with a stripper, and they go and review her shows. Yeah, um, and and the drama critic said, "Can I find this?" Drama critic said, "He said my mouth was a lush tunnel." <laughs> I was like, "What? This is what I mean about sometimes the script." Is poetry, and we'll come on to that later on, yeah. because Trent, the black guy who thinks he's a white supremacist, his speeches actually are beautiful and they're 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 lovely. Yeah. Not the white supremacist ones, but the ones when he's being more himself. Yeah. Um they're 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 beautiful, they're poetry. And then the script is full of things like that, or something else that Kathy says when she's talking to um Johnny. Do you think I like singing in that sewer with a hot light on my navel? <laughs> I mean what? I mean that that could be dead men don't wear plaids. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah, that yeah. could be a real yep parody of what someone might say in a in an earnest black and white movie and and another because sam fuller um i think we should point out sam fuller wasn't just a movie director writes it directs it yeah. produces it yeah. a sam fuller film is a sam fuller film yeah you're getting the so, full yeah so, so so nobody's looking over his shoulder saying yeah. can we reword that no, nobody's there's no, no process for that he's like i want to say that it's getting said yeah exactly and one of my favorite lines because as well as the arty side of this dialogue because he wrote a lot of novels Samuel Fuller as well as the insane random surreal side of his dialogue which you just exemplified there's also this dark comedy yeah so it's basically backstage at this stripper palace which is quite an odd place in itself I mean you never see an audience member or whatever and it's backstage budget baby budget, budget exactly um, and you've got this sort of dark curly headed who's kind of like one of the great support characters. I think she, I'm not even sure if she has two lines. She just turns up every now and again, kind of stripper, you know. They, mm. they, she never interacts with uh, Kathy. She's just sitting there looking like a stripper. And um, <laughs> it's basically you're just eavesdropping suddenly on a conversation she's having. And uh, what she says is, can, she, can I find it? So I told him, the only way for a stripper to strip is for me to take off all my clothes. <laughs> It's just like that's that's not that's not random surreal. That's yeah. I want to make the audience laugh. Yeah. That's just funny. Yeah, and uh, he's he's yeah. <laughs> Any more weird scenes that you would like to pick up? Because there's a well, few that I have. Well, you know what? We haven't even got to the weird scenes in the hospital yet. We were just talking about the weird scenes that that happen before he goes in. But it's it's partly that the whole notion is also what makes it weird, as you say. Okay. We know there are other films where people go undercover to get committed, and I think you may be talking about some of them later mm. on. But why would you choose incest as a reason? <laughs> That's just... Why would you... It's the most cockamamie reason. You're going to talk a little later, Lindsay, about Sam Fuller, the man. Yeah. And it's going to explain a little bit why this film is so tabloid, shock, horror, explo exploitation as well as being an art movie. Yeah. Um, it, it, it becomes obvious once you learn a bit about his life. But that that is the exact thing. It's, it's, pure, it's pure sensationalism. Yeah. It's like, what's, what's the most obscene reason I could find for someone to get committed? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Well, let's let's talk maybe about some of the, some of the scenes in, in the hospital because I think, it, you know, what, what's wrong with this picture... As always, is is again what is right with this picture. It's 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 shot beautifully. It's ninety percent in black and white, but actually some of the conversations that he has with patients, and in fact one of Johnny's own conversations later on, there's suddenly beautiful colour film inserted in the middle. So one of the first people that he speaks to is is a guy called Stuart, who is one of the the three witnesses to this murder of Sloan, which has happened in the in the mental hospital. And Stuart thinks that he's a Confederate general. Um, and there's the backstory to this is that he's been in Korea uh, and he's been brainwashed. Uh, he, was, he was captured. He was brainwashed. He thought he was a communist. When he came back, nobody would talk to him, all this kind of thing. His father disowned him. And I think the other interesting thing about uh, some Fuller films is that on the one hand, they are this trash, but they've got this kind of social conscience, this social commentary. So most of the mad people, uh, I say mad in inverted commas, um, and later on, you know, I would say that uh, John's Johnny's performance, he goes batshit 
Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> and I use that I use that term not to be disrespectful, but it's a very kind of film way of going mm. mad that he has. But the other patients in the in the hospital, not quite so, batshit Looney Tunes, are, but their madness comes from a social ill. So whether it's kind of isolation, you'll be... PTSD from being in a war and then the isolation, whether it's having gone through kind of various racist things, whether it's looking at the world and just seeing what have we done with this uh, kind of notion of atomic warfare, which drives um, Bowdoin uh, mad. There's even in the exploitation, exploitation, there's always kind of societal reasons. And, you know, those kind of things got him in trouble. Sam Fuller in trouble early in his career because he was kind of seen as kind of being red influenced in in some of his war films um, and in what he wanted to portray. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, uh, that particular, there's a really, talking about a beautiful um, dialogue, Um, that particular character, um, he, at one point, because what, sort of his little episodic thing that Sam Fuller does with this, isn't it, is that there's there's lots of these characters being batshit crazy. Yeah. And then finally he'll kind of get friendly enough with them yeah. to have an interaction with them where they're relatively sane yeah. and they're not displaying their symptoms, which yeah. is when he's trying to get the answer to the question at the root of the film, which is who killed Sloane? Um, and um, this character, and I've forgotten his name. What, what is the Confederate soldier? Stuart. Stuart. Um, he says this uh, line, which um, I just love. He's explaining, he's explaining how he ended up open to being brainwashed by Korean communists when he was captured. Um, n- not just because he was captured um, and a prisoner of war, but because, you know, from his position, he was kind of looking for something yeah. that he didn't have. And he he just says, my parents fed me bigotry for breakfast and ignorance for supper. Ah. Oh. And and it's it's you know in other words, the communists were fine after that. Yeah. The communists were fine after my upbringing. Yeah. I was looking for something that wasn't that. Well, you know, you you see that these days, don't you? People being kind of groomed online into very extremist exactly. right wing views or incel views or something like that. And it's 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 gangs. It's the story of gangs, isn't it? Yeah. It's like you you, yeah. you look for people who are weak, who are yeah. vulnerable, yeah. who lack love, who lack structure, who lack support, who lack a kind of supportive group, and you fake that to make them what yeah. you want them to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, obviously, I think I think you know when we're talking about the weird scenes that we love, I, I think we need to leave Trent to last, and I'm going to leave most of that okay, to you, Lindsay. Okay. But I think we have to address. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know what's coming. I know what's coming. So, first of all, a disclaimer. Um, not only has the word nympho uh, fallen from uh, normal use, but uh, even the word nymphomaniac is, is not, you know, anybody's idea of a psychologically correct term in 2022. Oh, or in fact, 2023, actually, now, as when recording. So I am using the word the nymphos um, because that is the word that Sam Fuller uses in his script. Um, so basically... Um, Johnny hasn't been in hospital very long and at one point there is a kind of exercise sort of, you know, one of these kind of group dance things and he he takes um, a bit of pleasure in winding up um, Stuart, um, basically starting to sing Dixie until he starts to go mental and there's a bit of a sneer on Johnny's face as like, yeah, I'm beginning to enjoy myself now, teasing these nutters. Yeah. And uh, but he gets his immediate karma. Um, He sort of (laughs) wanders into this next room and... It's just this brilliant moment. He wanders this room. It's there's no music in it. It's really stark, and there's just a few women, <laughs> and these few women turn and look at him. And uh, we haven't mentioned that um, oh, yeah. his inner thoughts are are narrated by a voiceover, and all that happens is he says, "Oh, nymphos," <laughs> and then and then these six of these women gradually come towards him now it, it, the most beautiful thing about this whole scene is right so so the the door the other door to the room um is is a matter of 10 yards away yeah. um he's a relatively big guy um uh, he has full mobility in his legs um um he he there's this bit where he goes backwards through the door and he's like oh no what's wrong with this door so okay <laughs> yeah. all right the door's locked behind him but 
at no point does he think, hmm, maybe if I just leg it straight to the other door yeah. and kind of push yeah. them out of the way, um, you know, I'd be fine here. No, he just sort of stands there while the nymphos um, circle him. And then they suddenly just try and devour him. And one of the, the great things about um, Peter Breck's performance in this is uh, because, as Lindsay says, he is actually in a lot of ways the person who has to, has to do mad yeah. in a most committed way than anybody else. But he is one of the great screamers <laughs> in cinema history. I was kind of thinking, he's the love child of Little Richard and Fay Ray. Like, this man screams like no one ever screamed on, on film before or since. And it's just this, this scene which you, you try not to laugh at, but no, it is funny. He's fully clothed. Okay, he's fully clothed. It's not like they tear his clothes off. And these women are just sort of pouring and clawing at him. And then there's these other three women that are just sort of standing around singing songs. But they're not, <laughs> not singing the same song and they're yeah, all singing, they're all singing, singing on top of each other. Songs. But it's, it's, they're very vampiric, aren't they? Vamp- yeah, vampiric, yeah. that's what. So they, they knock him to the ground and they're all like, you can imagine they're eating him, but yeah. not in a sexual yes. way. Yeah, they're it's just genuinely eating him. And, and this scene goes on. A wee bit too long, of course, because why... <laughs> Not long enough. Why, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting you think his, his narration is nymphos, because the way I've written it down, uh, it's like, nymphos! Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> interesting de- difference of perception. But, uh, you know, we don't we don't hear anything else about these women, and they, no. they, they don't appear again, except no. kind there's of no off-screen as a, as a kind of reason um, for, the, for the murder. But um, there's no context for them at all. Who knows what they're in for, presumably for being nym- nym- nymphomaniacs or sex, yeah. sex mad or whatever. And, and you know, this is, this is a long-term thing for women, that an overt sexuality got you locked up right from Victorian times. You know, that, mm. that, that, yeah. that got you locked up. Um, but uh, that's, I was going to say, that's another way that the, this kind of social commentary, because they have sex drives, that's why these women are, are there. Are locked away. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. not a health reason, it's not nope. a brain reason, it's a nope. societal reason, that's why they're locked away. Absolutely, absolutely. And it also, it's, I think, part of Sam Fuller's headline, you know, that that, that, that he's very, he's a born journalist, and... um. It's very much part of Sam Fuller's um, kind of tabloid mentality. I'm going to guess that at some point around that early 60s poet where he's writing that script, that, you know, the, the term nymphos has turned up in, in tabloid yeah. hysterical press, you know, and there'll be headlines about women are going sex crazy and, and, and whatever, and he's picked up on that and done something satirical with it for this film. And um, but what what but it is it is it is funny. I'm sorry. It is. It's. A, I think it's meant to be. And um, the next again, one of his harsh edits, and the next minute he's talking to to one of the patients, and it looks like he's gone ten rounds with Tyson Fury. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're just thinking, well, they didn't touch a penis, but they certainly bashed you up a lot. <laughs> and this is the start of Johnny's. Madness, or or or, yeah. or is it? Because I think that's yeah. a question. You know, mm. even before he goes in, he's so fixated on a Pulitzer Prize and or a movie treatment for his story. Yeah. You know, he's so fixated. He's 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 not really present, if I can use that modern term. Not really present for Kathy. He's been practicing for this for a year. He's already quite monomaniacal. Mm. It's no shock that actually what Kathy fears has come true. Yeah. That exposure to being around kind of. Mad and sick people has made him mad and sick. I agree, and, and I think it's also worth pointing out this point. Uh, when you know, spoiler alert: we, we we are not going to be not talking about the ending, and the reason why um, we're not going to talk about the ending is because from the first five minutes of the, this film, you know where it's yeah, going. Yeah, you know exactly where it's going, and I absolutely agree, Lindsay. His his mission, his idea for getting a Pulitzer Prize, is insane. Yes, and and Kathy is the sole voice yeah. of reason in that room with three men, yeah. you know, like basically just saying to him, this is an insane plan. You're asking me to go, to go along with something disgusting. So therefore you're making me aiding and abetting a crime. You know, the, the, what What are you doing? Please stop this. And he yeah. is literally like, if you love me, you yeah. do it. You'll just yeah. do it. Uh, and I'm his, not t- his I'm editor not to as you. well is like, you know, if you stop this now, you've lost him forever. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And uh, his 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 voiceover narration at the start. So the doctor who's 
training him really to to be mad. And this is how the film opens: is he's he's kind of rehearsing what he might say when these questions that the doctor predicts will come up come up. Um, he says in his voiceover narration, so it's Doctor Fong, which is another another thing. It's, it's an Asian actor in 1963. Mm. It's an Asian actor playing a doctor, mm. which mm. Uh, is a real uh, you know. Some some Fuller mo- was modern. He had modern ideas. Yeah. But anyway, part uh, part of the voiceover is Doctor Fong is a top flight head candler. <laughs> head candler. I like, know. What was that? What? I think, yeah, I probably even heard that line and thought, oh, I must have misheard it. It said head handler, right? <laughs> Couldn't no. have said head candler. Well, it was candler on my on my subtitles, and it there does sound go. like head candler. So What's I don't a know. head candler? <laughs> Dr. Fong's an excellent one, whatever it is. <laughs> Lindsay, yes. we need to talk about Trent. We do need to talk about Trent. So Trent is the second of the uh, witnesses and a character that we've mentioned before. He's played by Harry Rhodes, and in the film he is a black character who acts, talks, and believe he is a white supremacist. And there's because there's a throwaway line about Trent that he collects pillowcases, and you think, well, what does that ah, mean? That's fantastic. But I love actually, that line. it comes it comes full circle because what that means is he uses his pillowcases, he steals pillowcases, he uses them to be Ku Klux Klan hoods. Um, kind of marks the symbol on the front, cuts eye holes out of them, and in one very electrifying scene, actually. So he's he's talking quietly to, to Johnny and saying all this um, white supremacist stuff. He has a sign that says, integration and democracy don't mix. Yeah. There is liberal use of the N-word and how they're coming to... Uh, they're all right as entertainers, but I can't let that one marry my daughter, all this kind of stuff. Can, can America we just pause for there Americans. for a second? Because yeah, that's my, fav- my favourite dark joke. Because mm-hmm. Sepulchre always puts a black joke, even in the most heart-wrenching mm-hmm. kind of situation. And yeah, there's one other African-American yeah. on the ward. And he point, you know, he's making a speech and then says, let's get him before he marries my daughter. Yeah. You know, and, it's, it, and of course, you can't help as an audience member but laugh. But you know, the next thing's happening is this, these people are, you know, <laughs> they're out to lynch him. They're out they're, to lynch. So Trent you know. is at the forefront of this mob chasing after this other black guy. Trent's got his his um his hood on, and they're out to lynch this guy. Um, so you know, his madness is not confined to himself. And as you say, it turns out there's a social reason for this. He talks uh, when he's in his kind of more in his own mind. He talks about the uh, desegregation laws uh, that, on paper at least, meant that um, universities and schools had to be desegregated. He's the only black student at his school, and he's subject to everything that he's saying. So everything he's saying right now in his madness has been said to him. Everything he's doing right now in his madness has been done to him um, as 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 one of these um, students. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I guess one, it's very powerful. Harry Rhodes is is it's is great. What a performance! And I, I looked wow. him up, and I thought he must have been massive. I mean, he was held back by by racism, and he says that himself. He did. He did a few films. He did loads and loads of TV. So he was right. in like Charlie's Angels and right. Cannon and The Rockford Files right. and Magnum okay. PI. Did all that kind of okay. stuff. Never really kind of kind of made it big. Um, was an author as well. Wrote wow. you know when he couldn't get kind of great acting jobs, he wrote kind quite coruscating novels about racism and things oh, like that. Wow. Uh, he wrote one that was published and two that he couldn't get published. So again, that's, mm. that says that says yeah. something. Yeah. But. I think what's interesting about this is that this is 1963. This is not Sam Fuller as a white liberal looking back and saying, no. weren't black people brave in what they lived through? This is happening at the time. Absolutely. So 1954, we've got the desegregation in, in education. 1955, few short years before that, got the murder of Emmett Till. Yep. There's going to be a film about yep. his mother uh, and, and, and his fight, her fight for justice yep. for Emmett Till, who was, who was killed 14-year-old. A uh, young black man, a young black boy, really, who was killed uh, for supposedly flirting with a white woman. Uh, Rosa Parks uh, refusing to give up her seat was 1955. And in 1963, talking about the desegregation, in the university in Alabama, uh, Governor Wallace stood in a doorway to block two black students from registering. And JFK had to send in the National Guard. Yep. 63 was also... Mar- uh, 
Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech and also the church bombing in Alabama where four little girls were killed. So this is real life. This is happening around Sam Fuller when he's writing this. Um, and it just adds really to the power, I think, of the of the whole scene. Even as you're talking, it's chills up my spine. Mm. Uh, I, I honestly... You know, the, the, you know, as the '60s wore on, there, there, there were some, you know, there were some attempts by by Hollywood film and indie American film, as as there was, to to address, you know, the, the civil rights battle. It's not like nobody. It's not like the whole of Hollywood filmmaking or fiction writing no. or art or whatever ignored it. Of course, they didn't. Um, I, but for up for me, it, it's the most powerful. It's the most powerful statement. I, I mean, I. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I've because there was an African American independent film movement that was going on. Yeah, you know, all the way as a as a sort of shadow film industry mm. in America. I am not even going to pretend that I've seen dozens and mm. dozens and dozens of those films um, to say, "Oh, Sam Fuller's moment was better." I haven't, but from what I've seen, um, the moment where that that placard that he he mm. and and then he drops it's dropped down and, and you see the fury in his face. And he starts to say the horrible, abhorrent things that he's saying. It's so shocking. It's yeah. so shocking. And somehow it, it makes the racist narrative more vivid when it's coming out yeah. of a, a black actor's mouth. Yeah. It, it's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And, and real poetry, as I say, some of the, some of the things that he says is, are, are just beautifully... Not the racist rhetoric, but when he's more in his own mind, some of that, some of his script actually is, is beautiful. And that's the second of the times where we see something in colour and it's a kind of a dreamlike mm, thing. Mm. So it looks to be a Pacific island. I read that this was actually footage that Sam Fuller had shot previously for another film that didn't get released. Um, so Trent's kind of dream is he says, oh, I'm in the jungle and I'm a brown boy, I'm not a black boy. And it's this footage of, of Pacific Islanders and he's got a little narrative around that. And it's beautiful colour. So you're going from this black and white shadows, mental hospital, to the bright blue sky and and bright kind of leafy colours, mm, mm. beautiful nature colours, plus the artificial colours that the, the islanders themselves are wearing. And it's it, again, it's one of those hard cuts. It's mm black and white and moody and then it's colour like a beautiful postcard the most beautiful place on earth that you can hope to imagine and just that juxtaposition is incredible and 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 a real art yeah yeah uh, absolutely um yeah and and those two colour two other colours there's there's waterfalls yeah and 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 what's the first one again it's again breaking into someone's narrative yeah it's in Stuart's narrative the the guy who thinks he's a confederate I can't remember exactly neither can I how annoying yeah but what oh oh, it's in Mount Fiji that's right he's travelling through Japan and it's Mount Fiji yeah Yeah. and um they're astonishing when they come on screen. They're, again, they're such a shock, but not not you know because they're shocking images. But it's a visual shock because because this this is the kind of black and white film which is so black and white. It's so yes. black. It's so yeah. monochrome. It's grey. It's like bolt hard grey. Yeah. And then suddenly, bang! Edit, florid, florid color, and it's just whoa, whoa, yeah. and it's just so kind of shocking. Uh, it's, yeah. But also, both Stuart and Trent separately say to Johnny. I keep having these dreams and I see them in colour. I see, they're in colour, they're in colour. It's like, do you guys know you're in a black and white exactly. film? Exactly. It's it's really it's really interesting. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely I there's there is something there about is it these guys men are talking from the perspective of I know I'm in a monochrome film. I yeah. know I'm in a black and white yeah. film. Or are they talking from the perspective of in this asylum, in this place? Yeah. Everything is grey and black yeah. and white. Yeah. There is no colour here. Yeah. And and whichever one of those is is just another, you know, art art intellectual touch. Yeah, absolutely. Fuller. And the, the visuals, I mean, we need to talk about the visuals. We're going to talk about the really famous scene now. I think we're, we're coming to that time. But the visuals are just um, amazing. So the whole film starts with a pinhole view that gradually kind of widens. And Johnny says, this is my story as far as it went. Which is such a great start. Yeah. Um, I've met, mentioned the tiny little Cathy dancing yes, and superimposed yeah. on him. And later on, he has 
uh, electoral therapies or ECT, I guess. And Kathy has to agree to this. And this is when she's like, I don't want to agree to this. And the, the editor is like, well, you know, you can't stop now. So Johnny undergoes... I have to say ECT. that. I have to say, I'm sorry. She She's not asking the editor about this or saying to the editor, they've asked me to do this. Please don't make me do this. She's done it. That's right. She has. Why, why did you say yes to yeah. it? Why did you say yes? Why did you sign the piece of paper? Well, you know, ECT wasn't always seen as, as a terrible thing. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but he, there's also various superimpositions during his ECT where he's he's seen, yes. he's got memories and they're all being superimposed on this. So filmically, it's, it's really great. It's an incredible, yeah, this beautiful montage of every, all the most shocking things you've seen in the film with him underneath screaming and screaming yeah. and having the shock treatment. It's just like, again, pinned back to the you, to the back yeah. of your seat going, good God almighty. How does it compare then, do you think, to other films in that are similar to, to that? Well, I guess I, I guess I do see it as one of... that. There was a, a series of films that were kind of like noir, what what critics see as the end of the noir period, which is around 1958, and the cutting edge of what not, what later, well, sort of contemporarily, but was really later kind of labelled noir, um, sort of maybe represented by Orson Welles' Touch of Evil in yeah. 1958. And then, of course, in 1967 is when, you know, you get this thing, which I think Peter Biskind has, has, has very much defined really well in Easy Riders and Raging Bulls, of the beginning of New Hollywood, which yeah. is, you know, Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate in particular. And I think, um, you know, Sam Fuller made, you know, a film here that is one of those transition movies. So I, I would sort of say as part of a little tradition, um, Odds Against Tomorrow, uh, which was in 1959, starring Robert Ryan and Harry Belafonte, uh, The Manchurian Candidate, uh, which we've talked about in an earlier podcast, and also John Frankenheimer's Seconds. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the first uh, John Cassavetes film, uh, Shadows, which was 1959, I think. Uh, the Hustler, um, uh, Doc, uh, Stanley Kubrick's Lolita and Dr. Strangelove, although they were kind of half British, half American mm. movies. Um, um, and Arthur Penn's Mickey One, um, starring Warren Beatty. Cool Hand Luke and Point Blank, which came out in the same year, uh, actually, as right. Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate, and I think were, again, transition movies. And they're just so that transition from what we see as golden age Hollywood and those values and, you know, and the, the production code yeah. and the rules of melodrama, the rules of crime films, the rules of, thri of thrillers and westerns, and those starting to be played with, screwed with. The envelope starting to be pushed back. Yeah, and that's... that's it's really nice encapsulation of that that eight or nine years when things start to be different. So black actors yes, start no to problem. appear in some films, female leads start to appear in some films. Uh, there's just a kind of moral murkiness beyond the yeah. moral murkiness of noir mm. that actually maybe kind of better reflects a reality mm. rather than a than a, a, a stagey studio ness. Yeah, and and I think things that had to be suggested in noir started to just be yes. said. Yeah. Yeah, and you know things like the atom bomb hang over these films. Yeah, you know in Doctor Strange Love, in, in you know in Odds Against Tomorrow, and it's explosive ending out of yeah. nothing. You know, it, it it's kind of like, yeah, the, the atom bomb. You know, it's it's just prevalent. It's yes. everywhere. The fear of of annihilation. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I think Shot Corridor is an absolute perfect key yeah. American film in it's that a key midpoint to that, isn't it? So it's kind of right on the right on the tangent of those of those changes. Absolutely. Should we do the, the, the next part, the plot? Well, the end. Yes. Yes. Let's get okay. to the end. All right. So uh, what have I got? Yes. So after a uh, hospital riot, um, Barrett is straight jacketed, jacketed and subjected to shock treatment and uh, comes to believe that Kathy is truly his sister, um, rejecting her when she comes to visit. Um, he experiences many other symptoms of mental breakdown while he learns the identity of the killer. Wilkes, a hospital attendant who committed the murder to cover up his sexual liaisons with numerous female patients. Johnny confronts Wilkes in the hydrotherapy room and begins a violent altercation with him, which, and we're going to talk about that fist fight because it is absolute genius. Yeah. Um, Wilkes is apprehended and Johnny is finally able to write his story on Sloane's murder. But the ordeal leaves him with a shattered psyche. 
and he is diagnosed with schizophrenia. Sometime later, a few weeks later, three or four weeks later, uh, Kathy visits Johnny in the hospital. Uh, she laments to a psychologist about Johnny's mental decline as Johnny sits in a catatonic state. And then, then uh, there's a final scene that I would really like us to talk about because I think it's just another little example of Sam Fuller's genius. It's, it's a, it's a one-of-a-kind. But um, just before we move on to that, the uh, doctor says to Kathy when Johnny's sitting in his catatonic state, isn't it ironic? An insane mute will win the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled that line out as well. <laughs> How can you not? How can you not? But I love the fact that he, it's just one of those that, you know, one of the, one of the key th- things that was still happening in films a lot that time, everybody in American films, so much Freudian type thing. Yeah. And so many kind of doctors explaining for the, yeah. for the, the audience what's going on here by, by coming up with some really speedy diagnosis. And, you know, just like, ah, oh, yeah, he's a catatonic schizophrenic. Yeah. Right. I don't know if you saw okay. the I don't know if you saw the trailer. I had the trailer on my on my DVD version. Oh, of I, it. Didn't, I didn't. Um, and so the trailer trailer says, you know, it's got a big kind of booming voice. It's an incredibly realistic story. <laughs> or am I? Or is it? You know what I mean? Uh, it's a labyrinth of twisted detours that both sexes stumble along. I guess. So then it talks about Johnny <laughs> suffering from hallucinations that his sweetheart is his sister. Diagnosis: erotic dementia. <laughs> and then about and then about uh, then about Kathy. Have I got this bit about Brilliant. Kathy? Erotic dementia. Ah, God, I don't have it. Yeah. So it says it also says a little bit about Kathy, even though she's not in the hospital, and her erotic is her her diagnosis is manic sensualist. Really? It's like, would you rather have erotic dementia or be a manic sensualist? Um, I, I'd probably go for manic sensualist any day of the week. Uh, yeah, He's not going to choose that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. Dement- erotic dement. <laughs> I know. I don't want to be dementedly erotic. <laughs> I don't know. No, when you put it that way, it's <laughs> doesn't sound terrible. But anyway, um, I'm conscious of of time and yes. how much we've been we've yes. been talking. So there yes. is a key scene that we need yes. to talk about. I oh had some my stuff God, about yes. Sam Fuller, but just I think we can sum him up by saying something I read about him. He made B pictures and he shot them like A pictures. Yeah, that, that that's great. And that's great. And, you know, um, jo, 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 just to make it clear, there are reasons for he, he, the films that he made. Uh, he was a newspaper journalist from his teens. Mm. Um, he went into the world, into uh, World War Two at the age of 30 in a in a. A battalion um, of first infantry, which were mainly sixteen-year-old kids, he had the terrible, terrible experience and walked through the valley of death. Um, and then he came out and he wrote novels and made films that were completely influenced by yeah. that that horror. Yeah, and that's who he was. Absolutely. Oh, and Tarantino thinks he's brilliant. Scorsese thinks he's oh brilliant. Jim Jarmusch thinks he's brilliant. Goddard thinks he's brilliant. Vim Vendor thinks he's brilliant. He's in Pierrot Le Fou. Yep, he's, yep. he's in the last movie, Dennis Hopper's. As actors, you know, yes, they, they, they actor, get him in yeah. as an actor. And he's in a, a few um, Vim, Vim Vendor's um, films. So, yeah, I think like a lot of the directors talked about, you know, all the... All the guys in the know, and let's say guys, because to be honest, they are mm. mostly guys. Yeah, everybody, <laughs> Yeah, everybody in the know generally loves the directors that we're talking about just because they are slightly odd and they bring something slightly different. Let's, let's end by talking about the, the key scene. scene. The key scene. <laughs> okay, so basically what happens is it, it, I... You know, I'm not going to give you a, a great deal of cue into what happens because this is is just something visual and 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 stunning. But he wants to uh, Fuller wants to show us that Johnny is now very very sick, um, and he does this by a storm in the corridor. And in this scene, Johnny is suddenly alone in the corridor, and it is absolutely teeming with teeming with rain. He's struck by lightning and his whole body goes stiff. It's a fantastic physical performance by Peter Breck. And his whole body goes stiff as if he has been struck by lightning. And the practical thing about this is, is you know, Sam Fuller um, came up with the scene, but it, it was... <laughs> of course, there were still producers involved in this and money went performed in this. And it was him being very, very smart indeed. He said, I've come up with a scene we're going to shoot last. Uh, and it's to destroy the set. And that way they can't come back to yeah, me and say, yeah. reshoot any of this. Yeah. <laughs> Just genius. Brilliant. Brilliant. So you see this rain pouring down indoors 
all along this corridor. There are puddles. Uh, there's this storm happening. Johnny is just going berserk in this storm. And this isn't even the end. You, you'd no. say it's not even the end of the film. Various no. other kind of wrap-up things happen after that. And part of me is kind of like, end it there. I don't yeah. care about finding out about the yeah. murderer. I don't care about it's finding out about It's one of the most amazing things, isn't it, ever it put there. on a screen. I, I, the way it's shot. Yeah. The power of it. The lighting. Oh, oh, and, and you know, so many years before anyone could possibly do anything like this with CGI. You know, no one will ever make a scene like it ever again because why would you ruin a set, yeah. literally, you know, demolish a set uh, when you can do it on computer and, and nobody gets wet. so much worse. Uh, but that's why it will be crap. Yeah. Uh, and and that's just astonishing. And it's the, it's the crowning... It's the crowning glory of this art versus exploitation, yeah. because you know Johnny is fully mad. Yeah, has his 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 passion for this, his his experience of this has fully destroyed him, and yet there's the beauty of this shot, which is, I would say, un, un unparalleled. Of course, there are lots of beautiful shots. This one is an absolute gut punch in its beauty and in the horror of what it's describing, mm. which is Johnny's madness, mm. and it's just wonderful. Yeah, I agree. I guess in the spirit of uh, what's right with this picture, and, and I, I do feel there are things that I really want to mention, and I know that you agree, Lindsay, I think. Three things. Um, the fist fight. So uh, when uh, Johnny finally, you know, uh, realises it's Wilkes um, and that he's got to apprehend him, Wilkes is one of the attendants, um, they have this fist fight, and it's just glorious. It's just this beautifully too long uh, sort of choreographed thing which goes from room to room to room my favourite part of it there's two favourite parts of it um, basically it's in the hydro well part of it is in the hydrotherapy oh, yeah. room <laughs> and follow again his sense of humour there's these two guys standing at the back of the room punching seven states of shit out of each other and there's this blissed out guy in one of the hydrotherapy <laughs> who's actually in the front of the frame completely oblivious to anything that's coming. And he doesn't have headphones on or anything. No. He's just not turning around. No, because, you know, he's in his hydrotherapy tank and, and he's just got this little smile on his face and it's just genius. Um, and then for no reason, it sort of goes into this, I don't know, kitcheny bit. You know, they, they suddenly, they, they because again, you know, Sam Fuller, I want to be in a kitchen now. I'm not going to really do a great deal of transition as to why or how they got there. One minute they're in the hydrotherapy room, now they're in a the kitchen. And there's this banquet of food laid out yeah. on this really long table. It looks like it's they've got it out of, you know, a film about Henry VIII yeah. or something. Yeah. And it's only there so that Johnny could grab Wilkes and slide him <laughs> along the table and knock all the food everywhere. And I, it's just, I just laugh and laugh and laugh because I think you're just someone who enjoys filmmaking, mm. aren't you? You just wanted to do something where, where somebody slid along the table and knocked a load of food everywhere, and you just did it. It has no point, rhyme, reason, or... Uh, yeah, it's just brilliant. Um, another thing I really wanted to mention was the absolutely end scene. So, basically, you know, we have learned that, you know, Johnny's nuts. And the way Sam Fuller chooses to end the film, and I just think it's wonderful, is... Basically, um, we we switch to the front door of the corridor, which is where we almost where we started the film. And there's this new new patient. We've never met this guy before, and attendant with him, and he's explaining, "Oh, you know, if you all behave well, you all get to hang out together mm -hmm. in this corridor." And the camera, he's starting to lead him down, but the camera decides to move ahead of him, and we're basically going along the same guys that yeah. we've met through the film. They're all still there, and there's one, and there's you know. The, we haven't even mentioned the uh, chubby opera singing guy, but there's him. Oh, yeah, we haven't we haven't mentioned the guy that uh, is just a complete wild card and suddenly announces, "I'm impotent and I like it." <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I haven't mentioned him, but he's there. Um, we have Trent still there. We have Bowden still there, um, uh, and we have Stuart still there. And then there's Johnny, mm -hmm. and he's now. We haven't mentioned a character because he's not really a character. There's a guy all the way through that all he does is he sits on the floor with his left arm stuck out mm. and everything goes on around him and he never reacts. Johnny's now him. Yeah. Just standing there with his left arm stuck out. But this is Fuller's genius. He doesn't dwell. No. It's, this isn't he gets the, no more attention no, than any of the others. No, he gets no more attention than anybody else. It's not, oh my God, there's the hero. It's, he's just another lunatic. And suddenly the camera is behind them, walking mm. off, 
And I think there's a quote from Euripides is the final yeah. thing, is it? Whom the gods will destroy, they must first make mad. It's just like, oh my God, that's how to end a film. Absolutely. And the other thing I just wanted to, 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 to say is Constant Towers, Constance Towers before. Yeah, yeah, she's great. She's wonderful. And in, there's another great sample of film, The Naked Kiss, where she is a lead and produces another key image of his career. And uh, she's great. And she, she never got chances to lead in anything no, again. No, no. But that's, a, that's another weird and wonderful masterpiece if you get the chance to see any Sam Fuller film, pretty much. But uh, The Naked Kiss and, and Shock Corridor are, are up there. Um, and one thing I wanted to mention, uh, mm. we, we, we should just finish up, I guess, but uh, the guy who plays Bowden is an actor called Gene Evans and he featured in several of Sam Fuller's films. He was a bit of a muse for him. So his, his first big film that did well was called The Steel Helmet about um, a group of army guys in Korea and uh, Gene Evans. Evans. <laughs> Gene Evans was the was the lead in that and he, he often appears. Um, we don't even have time to talk about White Dog, I think. No, actually. no, we don't. We don't. But maybe White another Dog, time. Maybe another time. But White Dog is another uh, weird and very controversial uh, Sam Fuller film. Basically, we could talk about Sam Fuller all yeah, day. Yeah, Go yeah, and see yeah. some of his films if yeah, you haven't definitely. seen them. They definitely. are amazing. Yeah, so how many um, marks are we giving the... to the to 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 our films, Lindsay? Um, um, so um, so we always pick a a, a thing. Pulitzer uh, prizes. <laughs> nice, nice. So, Lindsay, uh, how many Pulitzer prizes does um, Shot Corridor get first for quality and then for weirdness? It's weird and wonderful. I'm giving it nine for weirdness and I'm giving it ten for quality. It's just such a treat for the eyes, at, and such a thinker for the brain i'm going with uh nine for quality and 10 for weirdness oh uh yeah uh i think it's one of the strangest films ever made and the fact that it is actually coherent is a miracle that's true that is absolutely <laughs> true but well worth your um your, oh, your peepers i think it's a film that everybody has to see i really would say i concur so from one set of manic essentialists to another till next time <laughs> till next time What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert.